Amen. I'm going to be speaking tonight on the topic, uh, excellence during exile. Excellence during exile. And I want to take a moment and just, just kind of go through some of the great uh, uh, passages of the scripture that have to do with those who were exiled to Babylon and to would end up becoming Medo, the Medo-Persian Empire. And, um, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about it. The first one we're going to talk about is Esther. We're going to talk about Esther. And uh, we'll talk about some others later on, but the first one we're going to talk about is Esther. Now, this is not in any chrono- chronological uh, order, uh, but I want to take a, a few moments and just speak to this subject And I want to uh, not only uh, speak to this subject, but I'd like to, I'd like to relate it to us in the sense that we know what it's like to feel, to be in a a somewhat of an exile. Uh, Exile is, is banishment from uh, your native country, your native nation. Your, your place of origin. That's what exile is. And it can be punitive in nature. Uh, and it can be for the purposes of punishment. Uh, it could be for the purpose of your own safety. It, 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 it really doesn't matter. But when you are put out of, of your place of purpose uh, and you are sent off into a place that is not uh, relative to who you are, where you are, you can you you you're in a position of being in exile, and I want to speak to you about that because we can identify with that. Anybody ever felt displaced before? Anybody ever felt displaced, and you find yourself just kind of wandering around and wondering if you are where you need to be, where you're supposed to be? Uh, are you doing what God called you to do? Uh, it's a it is a very, uh, it can be a very difficult place, uh, this place of exile. But I want you to know that God specializes in those exiled moments. He specializes in those times and places when we find ourselves out of position, out of place, when we feel as though uh, something has pushed us off our path, off our mark. I hope that the story of Joseph teaches us that even when you feel like you've been pushed off God's providential path, uh, you really have not been pushed off his path. You may have just been pushed off the path that you thought was going to uh, develop in front of you. But in reality, God has a way of performing his perfect will. And as long as we remain surrendered to the Lord, everything is going to be all right. Amen. That's the key. Remain surrendered to the Lord. If you remain surrendered to God, then everything else will fall into place. So when the the Bible deals with these Hebrew captives, with these that were exiled into Babylon, or and then, of course, what became Persia, Uh, These are people who emerge in the sacred scriptures as heroes, heroes of the faith. And uh, we're talking about Esther, but we could just as easily talk about Nehemiah, or we could talk about Daniel, or we could talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, And tonight, again, we're talking about Esther, but these are people who stepped forward and stepped out in the middle of their exiled experience. One very famous scriptural exile uh, that we could speak about is a man by the name of John. Of course, you know him as John the Beloved, but John wasn't just the Beloved, he was also the Revelator. And, and something about John that I think is so interesting is he was exiled. He was exiled uh, famously to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, he didn't give up, he didn't lose hope, he didn't quit, he didn't stop loving God or, or feeling loved by God or being loved by God. No, in fact, he performed one of the greatest things he would ever do for the Lord. He wrote the book of Revelation. 
So I want you to know that God wants to turn your Isle of Patmos, your Isle of Exile, into a book of Revelation. God wants to take that experience that makes you feel displaced, dispossessed, out of pocket, out of position, that makes you feel like you're groping for which way to go now. God wants to turn that into the most enlightening experience of your life. Don't let it make you bitter. Don't let it make you afraid. Don't make it or let it make you doubt the hand of God in your life. But understand that God is going to perform his perfect will in a unique way. I'm grateful that Joseph did not stop serving God simply because the path was different than he expected it to be. He knew where it was going to end up and it did end up where he thought it would. It ended up with him being honored by his brethren. And, and at the beginning of receiving that dream, he thought that's what it meant. That I'm going to be honored by my brethren. Well, it, it involved a lot more than just, just that. There was going to be a reason that he was honored by his brethren. They were going to honor him because of his work in famine. They were going to honor him because of his work in forgiveness. There was a lot of hurt that transpired between the receiving of that dream and the fulfillment of it. There was a lot of betrayal, a lot of pain. All of it was a part of the path. So while he thought he was in a form of exile, he was in reality on the perfect path of God. And people helped position him there. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about exile. Uh, this woman by the name of Esther, the first thing you need to know about her is that that's not her name. Okay, that's not her name, and that's an important thing to know about her. That was a name given to her by a heathen king. And it was in reference to and connected to a false goddess. And so that is right out of the gate an alarming thing. Her name was Hadassah. That was her name. And she was, of course, as the scriptures teach us, a beautiful young lady. And she was promoted because of her beauty and because of the favor of God that was upon her life. But her name was not Esther. It was Hadassah. And yet we call her Esther. They called her Esther. The first thing I want to tell you about uh, excellence during exile is do not become bitter when you become labeled with something outside of your control. She did not become bitter because they changed her name. She dealt with it. She lived with it. And she, she excelled in spite of it. Regardless of what they may have uh, dubbed her, labeled her, called her, she knew who she was. I love the song we sang tonight. I know who I am. I am yours. Regardless of what anybody else calls you, you remain confident in your identity in Jesus Christ. I preached a message years ago entitled, Go Ahead and Call Me Esther. And the idea of it was, you can label me whatever you want to label me. I'm going to do the work of God that he's called me to do. You can call me whatever you would like to, but I have a purpose. And there is a providential hand of God upon my life and upon yours if you'll surrender to it. And God can use you if you refuse to become bitter. So don't become bitter about things that are outside of your control. The practice of changing names in those ancient empires, and even today, the practice of, of name change, this practice is a, a practice of domination or uh, dominion. The ancient kings would, would change people's names so as to prove to them that I own you now. I have authority over you now. When you name something, it's because you have authority over it. This, parents, is why you name your children. It's your responsibility and your right to name your children because you, as the mom and the dad, have a God-given authority in that child's life. And this is also why God gave Adam the responsibility of naming the animals. 
because he had dominion and he had authority over the animals. This is also why we are baptized in Jesus' name. It is us surrendering our name to him and saying, put your name upon me. I give you authority in my life. And the dominion exercised by these heathen kings was a dominion that was, uh, that was an effort to psychologically impose their will upon these people. So Hadassah's name was changed to Esther. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of that was an effort to take authority over them. And you can get bitter about it if you want, but you're going to live under and beneath and short of excellence during exile if you get bitter about things that are outside of your control. Instead of getting bitter about it, step into it. And say, I'm not going to be discouraged or disheartened by the things that are outside of my control. I'm going to step into the promise and the providence of God for my life. Doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter what the enemy tries to do to you. If God before you, who can be against you? And who can be against you is a rhetorical question. And the understood answer is, it doesn't matter who can be against you. Because they're going to be defeated by the power and the grace and the glory of God. Amen. Somebody said amen. Now this is what Esther did right out of the gate. She is renamed. Her name Hadassah is stripped from her. She is, has a new uh, name that she never asked for. She is forced to identify with a culture that she is not familiar with or comfortable with. And yet she's being promoted. She is being promoted. But it, it's, it's something that she did not ask for. And, and it's, it's happening at a lightning speed. And so when you read this story, of course, it opens with King Ahasuerus, who is making a, a, a feast and he's showing the splendor of his kingdom. It lasts about six months long, this this parade and this continual uh, uh, showcasing of his kingdom. It's about a six-month-long party. And when it comes to the final seven days of the party, he has, they, it's just a full, all-out partying situation. They are drinking themselves to a drunken stupor. Everyone is intoxicated. It is actually... Uh, there are there are no limits to the drinking. The Bible points out that there was there was no limit to the drinking. Everyone drank as they pleased, and whenever they wanted more, they just fill it up. You can just imagine all of these all of these lords and princes and nobles from all over the then known world uh, being together in this this place of total and utter intoxication. It was. A recipe for disaster. He calls for Vashti, the queen, to come and and show her beauty to the uh, to all of the noblemen and those that had gathered together for the party. And she did not uh, did not uh, respond favorably to the order. She refused, and Ahasuerus was so angry at her refusal that he called together his legal experts and they weighed in on what can be done, what should be done about Queen Vashti. They advised him to, to take matters into his own hands, banish her. She went into a form of exile and she was no longer allowed to appear before the king from that day forward. Now, once he came down from his uh, intoxicated state, once he kind of developed his presence of mind a little bit, he began to regret his actions. And that, of course, is what happens when people act hastily, they start regretting their actions. But when this position of Vashti the queen was, was open now, and the queen was no longer in her position or place, the search was on for a queen. And the queen uh, turned out to be this young lady by the name of Adassah, whose name became Esther. And, and she was chosen among many others that were, that were viewed for suitability for this position of queen. But there was a special favor upon this young lady. 
And it was not just her natural beauty, but there was a humility about her. There was a, there was a, a way about her that was, that was satisfying to everyone. She was, she was loved and favored by all who interacted with her, which is a beautiful and an amazing thing because she was without a father and without a mother. She, didn't, she was not raised by her father and mother. She was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai, in raising her, must have done a spectacular job because she was, as a young lady, prepared for this massive, major life change that had come her way. And, and, and he advised her well. He said, look, there's no sense right now in telling them all about your family tree because it's going to put a target on you, so you need to wait for whatever reason, you need to wait right now because, because we just need to get through this season. And here's this young lady. She's in uh, this new position of, of being favored. It was a 12-month process of purification that she went through in order to be ready to appear before the king. A year-long purification process. I want you to look at the qualities that are emerging from this, from this text. Look at the patience involved with what she's going through. There's a 12-month period of patience and, and purification. The purification process meant a change of diet. It meant uh, a total uh, new way of, of cleansing oneself and preparing oneself at any point in this journey, she could have become very bitter at the, at the requests that were made of her, at the orders that were given to her, the fact that her life changed so suddenly. All of these things could have thrown her off her path, but not if you're going to be excellent during exile. Not if you're going to thrive in the middle of your unfortunate circumstances. No, she went through the process of purification. And I want you to know that when you are in a season of transition, a season of exile, a season where things all around you are shaking and shifting and you're not sure what to expect next, there is a purification happening. And it can be months long, and it won't change overnight. And I'm going to tell you something. God's going to perform a work in you before he lets you out of those circumstances. How many have found that to be true? That before you get out of your circumstances, God is going to perform a work on the inside of you, and it's going to change your life. And here this young lady is, she's, she's going through this process, but while she's going through this process, she's being purified. You want to be purified. You want to have purity in your spirit. Do you know what the Bible says about the pure in heart? It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I had someone say to me one time, they said, I found out what that means. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I thought, well, I already know what that means. That means blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One day in glory, they're going to see God if you're pure in heart. But they had a different take on it, and I love this take, and I think it's right. You won't just see him in glory. I believe you'll, you'll just see him. I think you'll see him in everything. I think when you're pure in heart, you're going to see God in just about any set of circumstances you face. When your heart is pure, you don't see your enemy, you see God. When your heart is pure, you don't, you don't see the works of the enemy as having superiority. You see God at work. When your heart is pure, even when you read the news that's taking place in our world today, there's two ways of looking at that. One, you can look at it and say, oh, this whole world is going down the drain. This is terrible. This is awful. And I might as well be depressed for the rest of this week. Or you can see God. 
at work in the affairs of mankind. You can see that God is preparing this place for his soon return. You can see that God is letting man try everything that doesn't satisfy until he'll finally turn his heart to God. You know that's where it's headed, right? I hope you do. I hope you know that man is losing confidence in government because he's going to have to turn to God. Man is losing his confidence in the medical community because he's going to have to turn his heart to God. Losing his confidence in financial institutions because they're going to have to turn their heart to God. I don't know about you, but I see God. Ah. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I'm glad that Esther was pure. I'm glad there was purification happening. Because I don't think it was just physical purity that was happening. Her heart was being purified. And when her heart was being purified, she could look out on the horizon. She could see the the, the dominion of this, this king. She could see all of the processes involved in this situation. She could look back on being snatched away from her cousin who loved her, cared for her and provided for her throughout her life. She could look at all these things and she could be depressed by it if her heart wasn't pure, but because she had a pure heart, she was able to see God in all of it. And God will make your heart so pure that you will see God in your circumstances, even the difficult circumstances. So let the purification happen. Let God cleanse your heart. Let God cleanse your mind. Let God cleanse your motive. Let God purify your agenda. What if you just really loved people because you loved people and you didn't love them because of what they could give you in return? Wow, now that is an epiphany. I can love people just to love people. That's what a pure heart will do for you. What if you were just kind to people and never expected kindness in return? That's what a pure heart will do for you. It will cause you to do things out of love and out of kindness and out of the integrity of your own spirit that God develops within you. And that's what takes place during purification process. Don't become impatient in the process of purification, then I'm sorry, 12 months is a really long time. But that's what purification is. It's a really long, drawn out process. There's a lot of detox involved. There's a lot of of changing habits involved. You know, when I think about the purification process, that dietary change, you know, dietary change is a tough thing. Have you ever tried to make some changes in your dietary plan. I grew up skinny as a rail. And now that I'm in my 40s, that has changed a little bit. And I'm, and I'm realizing I have, to, I have to watch some things. And I wasn't used to that growing up, but, but that's what, and it's a little hard. It's a little challenging to do. And you might be able to do it for a few days, and then you might be able to do it for a little while. But, but then you, uh, you realize the purification process is a long, drawn-out process. Let it unfold. And, and you will begin to thrive and live and find In a spiritual sense, God will purify you and you'll be ready for the call of God upon your life. So Esther went through the purification process. She didn't get bitter. She accepted what the circumstances were despite the unfairness of them. And she went through the purification process. I think it's good to point out as well, she was obedient She was obedient. She was obedient to the Lord. She was obedient to Mordecai. Mordecai had spiritual authority in her life. It is good to be obedient to spiritual authority in your life. You need to be able to to find out good godly counsel from spiritual authority. The scripture says, obey them that have the rule over you. And of course, we're taught, we don't lord over God's heritage, but when you're looking for good godly counsel, don't seek it in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. And one of the saddest things, 
One of the saddest things I've experienced as a pastor is to give good godly counsel to somebody and they don't follow it. And then the thing that you were trying to help them avoid develops in their life and now there's a new problem that has, that has developed. And, uh, and that's so sad because a lot of things can be avoided just simply by asking good godly counsel. And Esther did that. And she asked Mordecai, what are some things you'd advise? He said, number one, don't tell anybody who you are or who your family is. Now that's offensive. That's offensive. And, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if a young person said, I'll tell them whoever, I, who do they think they are? I'll tell them who I am. I'll tell them who my family is. Not going to tell me what I can and can't do and march on in there and and mess up the plan of God. But good godly counsel said, wait on it. Don't say anything yet. There was going to come a time, there was going to come a time when she would tell them everything. But now was not that time. And Mordecai, I knew it, couldn't necessarily explain it. His explanation probably sounded like he was just trying to be a people pleaser. That, that could be a put off. Nobody wants, to just, nobody wants to just live under people's thumbs because of what they might think of you. Esther could have responded with a rebellious attitude. and I'm not going to do that just because that's what they expect of me. But thank God she listened to good, godly, wise counsel. Hallelujah. Do you know blessed is the man that walketh not after the counsel of the ungodly? And in this day of the internet and in this day of social media, you have a lot of access to a lot of advice outside your pastor's advice. And now I'm, I don't speak of me as a person, but I speak of me as an office. This is an anointed role, and it's important to listen to what comes across this pulpit. It's important to seek that godly counsel so that you can make good, healthy decisions in your life. It's important to do that. It's important to say, listen, I, I need help. And, and, and I'm not saying I'm going to always know the answer or that our ministry team is always going to know the answer. But I, but I do know when we don't know the answer, I know the answer to that. Let's pray about it. I remember Brother Gary Keller one time said of Brother uh, Paul Mooney, he said, you know, when I was assisting Brother Mooney, he said people would come and ask counsel, and one person after another, Brother Mooney would say, well, let's pray about that. Let's pray about that. He said, I remember thinking, well, that's kind of a cop-out until I started pastoring. And I realized it was the best advice that he could give them. Because something happens when you start praying about it. This is why you hear me say a lot, if you're worrying about it, stop. Don't worry about it, pray about it. Don't worry about it, pray about it. And articulate everything you are concerned about. Articulate that in prayer to God. Open up your heart, open up your mind, open up your Bible and you're going to get an answer. I don't even know how to explain how that works. I just know that these letters will pop off the page. And, and it'll be black and white, red and white. And then all of a sudden it'll be like neon green and bright flashing purple and, and like flashing orange signs. And it'll, God will speak to you from his word. But you're not going to find a lot of people who give ungodly counsel tell you to pray about it. They're going to have a ready. Now, now there can be a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom. But that's going to come through godly counsel, not through ungodly counsel. Ungodly counsel will try to substitute itself for prayer. You don't even have to pray about it. You know, even if I do know the answer, sometimes I tell people, pray about it. Because it's important that they hear it from God. And, and I, can, I, I can say something, and, and if I feel compelled to, I will. But if I don't feel compelled to, even if I know the answer, sometimes I'll, I'll tell people, you need to pray about that because I know that when God reveals it to them, it's going to carry all the weight in the world. And I don't want them to just hear it from me and think that's pastor's opinion. 
That's Mordecai's opinion. No, Mordecai has a good reason for why he's saying what he's saying, even if he can't fully explain it to you right now. Don't tell them who you are. There'll be a time for that. Wait on it. So she did. She was obedient. And the time came that, that she would do it. Now, while all of this is developing, two of the king's chamberlains conspired to take his life. They were going to assassinate him. And, and Mordecai got word of this. And he got word to Queen Esther. And Queen Esther was able to, to get word to the king and it was investigated, it was, they were interrogated, it was found to be true and Mordecai was given the credit and there was a log book that recorded his deeds. Okay, now nobody was reading that, that record book but his deeds were recorded in the record book. In exile, do good things. Do good things. You know, two great pieces of advice. Are, are, that I want to share with you. Number one, do good stuff. And here's another one. Don't do bad stuff. These are like really profound and powerful insights into, into living for God. Do good stuff and don't do bad stuff will like revolutionize your life. And we really do know what those things are. Many times it's just our flesh that tries to war against us following those two uh, imperatives. Do good stuff, don't do bad stuff will, will help you in a, in a lot of ways. And Mordecai, yes, he's in exile. Yes, he's a stranger in this land, but he was doing good stuff. He was saving the king's life. Do good stuff in your community. Do good stuff at your workplace. Do good stuff to help people. Do good stuff to, to lift people. Do good stuff to help save people out of their trouble. And I'm going to tell you, you may not get a parade thrown in your honor right now, but it's being recorded somewhere. It's being recorded in the King's Journal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Esther was able to get word to the king, and it, and it completely, it turned the whole thing around. The king's life was saved. Well, in the, in the meantime, Haman, who was the man that the king put in charge among the people and had ordered that people bow down and give him their proper uh, respect and reverence. And he came through uh, one day, and the, the, the king's uh, gatekeepers were observing that there was a man who did not bow to him. And this bowing matter was an important thing to the, the Hebrew captives. They did not bow to the king. They didn't bow uh, and, and we see that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's something that we have to remember today. We can be respectful. We can be reverent. We can be kind. We can be wise. But we don't worship anybody but God. Okay? We don't worship our culture. We don't worship our, uh, our politicians. We don't worship. We don't worship anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy to be praised. And we've got to make sure that we don't bow in the gate of the king. There's only one king, and he's the king of all kings. I love the scripture that says, fear God and honor the king. There's a reason why it says it in that order. When you fear God, you'll honor the king. But when, but when the king tries to substitute your relationship with God with your relationship with him, that's when we have an issue. No, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow to your image. We bow only unto the Lord. Hallelujah. You know they could have escaped the fiery furnace that day if they hadn't bowed. You know what? They, they, what, what if they would have bowed? What would have happened? Probably nothing. They would have just simply bowed. And nobody would have ever known that Nebuchadnezzar even did what he did in, in trying to get everyone to bow to the image if they had just simply gone with the flow of their culture and bowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I was speaking of, nothing would have happened. And the same is true of Mordecai. If Mordecai would have just bowed, there wouldn't have been an issue. If you would just bow, 
There won't be an issue in your world. But if you're going to serve God and live for God, then you cannot bow to this world. I want you just to think for a moment. Lord, help me to never bow to the things of this world. I'm not going to bow to fear. I'm not going to bow to idolatry. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You hear me well. There's an ultimatum coming to the Christians of the United States of America. And the ultimatum is, are you going to stand for truth or are you going to bow? And I'm just going to be honest with you. You can bow and the culture will accept you. But if you refuse to bow, you will be accepted by God. And I'm going to tell you, it, you know, if it ever comes to a point where, where, where people are trying to decide, am I going to serve the Lord or am I going to serve the whims of this, of this particular culture that we're living in? Listen, there, there is, there's no decision here. We've made our decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I've chosen this day who I will serve, and I'm serving the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's time to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. It's time to walk away from that nonsense. Stop condoning things that the Scripture calls abomination. Stop endorsing things that the Scripture Scripture condemns you don't have to be hateful, but you cannot bow. You cannot bow. You have to stand upon the righteousness of God, and his righteousness is for sure. And this this ideology that, that is trying to destroy manhood. And trying to blur the lines between men and women, male and female. This ideology that's trying to accomplish that is an ideology that is anti-Christ. And, and, and the enemy would love to turn the preachers into soft puppets of this culture so that they won't condemn it. And it, it has to be preached against. It has to be dealt with. This is, this is an abomination unto the Lord. And, and we as watchmen on the wall have a responsibility to say, hey, there's a danger coming. And it's going to cause mass confusion. And it's going to cause, cause mass sinful hysteria in our society. And people will be overtaken by it. And they will lose their souls. The church is the last bastion of truth. And we cannot bow. Mordecai, I did not bow. Haman, they brought it to his attention. Hey, this guy's not bowing. He was enraged. He was enraged and he was outraged. In and out. Enraged and outraged all at the same time. Enraged means it was boiling on the inside. Outraged means it boiled up and over to the outside. And he demanded that something be done about this. And he went to the king and he dealt with it. And there was, we see an anti-Semitic a Hitler-esque plot develop in the form of Haman developing a genocidal plot against the Jewish people. They were going to exterminate all of the Jewish people at that time. And Mordecai found out about it, went to Queen Esther and said, the time has come. It's time to let them know who you are. I'm so glad she waited it was the timing was perfect. I'm glad she was obedient to nuance. I'm glad she didn't rebel against the stuff that didn't make sense to her. That doesn't make any sense to me. We're living in a, I re, I'm old enough to remember a generation where when the man of God would say, you need to do this and you need to do that, you were obedient and you said, amen. I, I may not understand it all, but I trust, I trust the word of God that comes from the man of God. We're living in a generation where, yeah, you can say what you want to say, but, but, but if it doesn't make sense to me, I'll walk straight off this cliff for the fun of it. And, and, and so we have to get rid of that. We've got to go back to an old-fashioned, humble obedience to the word of God. 
And I know that some people have abused that. I know there have been some leaders that have abused that. And some people have been hurt by leaders who have abused that. And, but I, and I want you to know, follow me as I follow Christ. And if I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. I, I don't want you following me if I'm not following Christ. But if I'm following Christ, follow me. Let's get where we're trying to go. Let's, let's make it to that city. Hallelujah. 99 and a half won't do. We're, 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 we can only get there by going 100%. We can only get there by putting all in, by giving God everything we have. Hallelujah. I'm glad that Esther didn't look at Mordecai and rebel against him because his instruction didn't make sense to her. It didn't make a lot of sense at the time. It, it, it could have sounded like he was just trying to be a people pleaser and she could have rebelled against that. But instead, she trusted his wisdom. She obeyed and it was perfect timing. And when the time came, she went before the king and she said, there is a plot to kill me and my people. And she said, he said, who has done this? And when she pointed it out to Haman, pointed it out to the king that it was in fact Haman. Here's what's interesting, okay? Now, we've talked about excellence during exile. And we've talked about Mordecai. And we've talked about Esther. But let's talk about Haman. He's an example of what not to do in, 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 in life. Haman had a, 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 a self-seeking, self-glorifying spirit. And, and the Bible says that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And that by doing so, in due season, he will exalt us. And let me tell you something. You want God to exalt you if you're going to be exalted. You don't want man to exalt you. You want God to exalt you. You know, man will exalt you, but it's... it's uh, it's short-lived and it's a long way to the ground. Man exalts you, he'll lift you up, but you'll come crashing down with a thud. But if the Lord exalts you, you're gonna stand on a firm foundation, you're gonna have plenty of room to move, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a strong, a steady foundation under your feet. If the Lord exalts you, you will not fall. But if man exalts you. So, so when, when you seek your own exaltation, your own promotion, your own elevation, just putting yourself there to, 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 to exalt yourself and bring honor to yourself and glorify yourself, that, that will always end in calamity. But when you let God do it, it's going to be all right. Haman was always exalting himself and trying to tear others down. So when the king remembered what Mordecai had done to save him, he wanted to honor him. And he brought Haman in as an advisor and he said to him, what should I do for a man who means so much to me and I want to honor him so that others can see his example? Haman, thinking that he was talking about him, gave him this beautiful, wonderful idea of how to honor a man described as such and he was actually describing Mordecai. And so Haman planned the party that exalted and promoted and elevated Mordecai instead of himself. And he had prepared gallows for Mordecai. And you know, when the story was done, Haman was hanging from the gallows he prepared for Mordecai. What are you trying to say? Here's, here's, here's what I want us to understand. When you seek your own elevation, that's not what you will receive. Somebody else will. When you, when you allow yourself to have enemies and you wish the worst for them and the best for yourself, the worst for them and the best for yourself, you end up receiving the worst you wished for them and they end up receiving the best you wished for you. And so in this excellence during exile, don't have enemies. Don't have, don't have people that you, that you hate. Don't have, don't have that. Have, have a, a, an ability to love even your enemies. Have the ability to bless them which persecute you. Have the ability to love them that despitefully use you. Have the ability to be full of the love and the grace and the kindness and the joy of God. That's what will cause you to excel even while you are in a position of being exiled. 
And so Esther saves the people, the people of God. One of the great acts that she, that she acted out was the act of faith, the act of courage. Mordecai and her had a disagreement. She was struggling with the idea of how to bring this up. And he looked at her and said, don't think for one moment that you will escape. You know, even when you're practicing and living out excellence during exile, you're going to have times where you lack courage. And Esther lacked courage in this moment. She lacked the wherewithal to to even envision herself going before the king. And and when she lacked this, Mordecai said, don't think that you will escape. It's going to hit us all. You've got to take the stand. And I I want to tell you today, don't think for one minute that this way of the world is not going to affect you and your family. You're going to have to take a stand for what is right and what is true. And you've got to be willing to do it. And this is what Mordecai said to Esther. And it, is, it reverberates through time as one of the great admonitions of Scripture. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I want Tree of Life Church to know very good and well, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Brother John Wilson, I think sometimes of my grandfather who's no longer living on this earth and I think, man, I'd love to hear his voice in 2023. I would love to see him in action facing the kind of principalities we're facing today. But he's not here to do it. We are. We are. Paul and Silas aren't here to do it. Peter, James, and John aren't here to do it. But Esther, you are. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We're living in perilous times. That's all right. I'm here because God put me here. I'm here because God has a purpose for my life. I'm going to take a stand for my family. I'm going to take a stand for truth. I'm going to walk into the courtroom of the king and I'm going to declare righteousness. I'm going to live for God in an ungodly generation. I'm going to be holy for the Lord Jesus is holy. I'm going to stand for what is right. I'm going to stand upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand that's how you excel when things are strange. And when you feel like you're on an Isle of Patmos, you take a stand. Hallelujah. Who knows But you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then when Esther decided she was going to do it, This is what she said concerning herself. And I'm going to tell you, this this really does have to be our mentality. Another great statement of this great book that reverberates through time. I'm going before the king. He does not have to yield his scepter toward me. She could have lost her life. All he had to do was say she's uninvited and she would have lost her life. And yet she went before him in faith believing that he would hear her, that he would receive her. And this is what she said concerning that moment. If I perish, I perish. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to live for God. And if I perish, I perish. I'm going to do the work of God. And if I perish, I perish. I'm going to reach for lost souls. And if I perish, I perish. I'm going to take a stand for my family in these last days. And if I perish, I perish. I need somebody to understand that I would rather have the glory of what's coming next than the, than the, 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 the type of problems we have in this world. Don't we know? And Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us we've got to live for the life that is to come don't live for the next high don't live for the next thrill don't live for the next little little excitement live for what's coming because i'm telling you there's coming a day where no sorrow shall come there's coming a day where there shall be joy forevermore live for that world live for then don't live for right now Learn from the past, but don't live in the past. Don't dwell in it. Plan for the future, but don't worry about it. Live in the moment, but don't live for the moment. 
We've got a place we're headed to. This world is not our home. And we're in exile right now. But we're going to have excellence during exile. I'm not going to begrudge the circumstances that are out of my control. I'm going to yield to the purification process. And I'm going to be patient. And I'm not going to wish the worst upon those I feel badly towards. And hope the best for me. I'm just going to love my friends. Love my enemies. Love my family. Love God. Love my neighbor. This is how you excel during exile. I'm going to be obedient to the word of God even in the things I don't fully understand. Praise God. One of the great stories of the Bible and a tragic story, speaking of being obedient in the things you don't understand, is the story of the young prophet who God told to go to uh, Bethel from Judah And he said, go this way and prophesy to King Jeroboam. Give him the word of the Lord that he has crossed the line, that he has allowed idolatry and I will judge his kingdom. And then I want you to turn around and I want you to come back a different way. And I don't want you to go anybody's house. I don't want you to stop anywhere for tea. I just want you to come on back to Judah. Now, I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why can't I stop it? Culver's or Chick-fil-A or something just on the way back. And God said, no, don't do that. Why not? That's what this generation says. This generation says, why not? That doesn't make sense to me. Make it make sense, they say. And you know what, God, you're not God's God. I think we need to remember who's God in all of this. Sometimes we need a wake-up Reminder as to who, who's Lord and who's not Lord. And I'm going to tell you, we're not God. He's God. And he doesn't owe us an explanation. He's gracious enough sometimes to do it. He's gracious enough to do it, gracious enough to do it sometimes, but he's not owing us of any explanation. He's God. He gives the order and we obey it even if it doesn't make sense. And to this young prophet, it didn't make any sense. But you know what? He was obeying it. He went from Judah to Bethel and he prophesied to Jeroboam. And then God said to go a different way. So he goes a different way. And I'm not supposed to go to anybody's house. And he meets an old prophet who says, come to my house. And he said, I can't. The Lord told me I can't go to anybody's house. And the old prophet was offended. And he said, the Lord told you you can't go to anybody's house? Well, I'm a prophet. I hear from God, and the Lord told me, you can come to my house. But he lied. And the young prophet went to the old prophet's house despite despite the fact that God told him otherwise. And while he was there, the old prophet really did hear from the Lord, and he said, oh my goodness, I have misled you. You need to get on the road, and I don't think you're going to make it home. In fact, you're not. You're going to die before you get home. And that young prophet went back home, and a lion attacked him and killed him. And it's a tragic story, but you know what the moral of it is? God knows where the lions are. And when he gives you instructions that you don't understand, follow them. Because he knows where the lions are. Amen. This book is full of life. And if you'll follow it, glory to God. It will lead you to life eternal. You'll excel even in times of exile. Praise God. Praise God. I want everybody who can feel the strangeness of the world we're living in, I want you to lift up your hands right now and say, God, I'm going to excel even in this time of exile. I'm going to, I'm going to excel. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to love. Hallelujah. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to minister. I am not taking a back seat. I'm not, I'm not hunkering down. I'm not getting intimidated. I'm not crawling into a hole. I'm going to excel during exile. I'm going to live in this moment. Hallelujah. God is for us. God is on our side. Hallelujah. I'm going to see revival. In, in my generation. I said, I'm going to see revival in my generation. Hallelujah. I want somebody who believes it to lift up your voice and give him praise. Come on and give him praise. Come on and give him praise. Come on and give him praise. Come on, lift up your voice unto him and say, God, give me the strength. I'm going to see people.
people saved. I'm going to see revival. I'm going to do it for the good of the kingdom. For I have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. You know what? We don't need to wish we were living in a different time. We need to be happy and content right where we are. God put us here. Amen. Somebody said, I wish we could go back to the 1940s. Let me tell you something. In the 1940s, in the 1940s, young men were getting drafted into a war they probably wouldn't come out of. You want to go back to the 1960s and 70s? Same thing was happening. That was a very difficult time. You want to go back to the 1930s, the Great Depression? Is that where you want to go? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go back to, I, I, we, were, we were somewhere recently and, uh, and we saw people that live a very, 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 uh, uh, they live off the land and they were plowing their fields and it was so simple and serene and they just, they, they do for themselves and they live off the land. And, uh, and I, I was looking at it as we drove by and I said, now look how simple that is. Just that's, now that's the simple life. And I thought, what in the world am I talking about? As I sit here in my air-conditioned van, getting where I'm trying to go and going 60 miles an hour, getting ready to go literally sit down at a table and tell people who are waiting on me hand and foot what food I want and how I want it prepared and hold this and add that. No, we don't have any idea how blessed we actually are. Don't be discontent. Live right now and be effective right now and be excellent even during exile right now. Hallelujah. I want somebody going through something. I want you to lift up your hands unto the Lord and worship your way through it in Jesus' name. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, you feel like you're in exile, come out of it with the book of Revelation. Come out of it with a book of enlightenment. Come out of it. (laughs) Hallelujah. Come out of it knowing that God is for me and I'm making it in Jesus name I'm coming out of this it may feel strange it may feel difficult it may be difficult but I'm going to excel in the middle of this this is my purpose yeah Esther I know I know you miss the trappings of what you're used to you miss the things that, that were convenient in your life and now you're thrust onto the global stage and you're, you're in front of everybody and you're having to make hard decisions and there are difficult things in front of you but you're going to be alright if you surrender to God Hallelujah. I just feel like there's somebody who needs to excel in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this trial. We're going to sing and we're going to take just a few moments here to lift up our praise unto God, lift up our voice unto God, and let Him lead us and guide us. Let Him lead us and guide us. Let Him lead us and guide us. Come on all across this building right now. I want somebody to lift your hands unto the Lord and say, God, I'm coming through this. I'm coming through this. I'm coming through this. I'm coming through this. I'm going to be patient with the purification process. Hallelujah. I'm going to be patient with the purification process. I'm not going to be bitter in the name of the Lord. I'm not going to wish any evil upon those who have mistreated me. I'm not going to seek self-aggrandizement. I'm going to be faithful unto God even in this exile. He will never fail. He will never fail. He will never fail. I trust in God. My Savior.
to lift up that praise unto God right now. I want everybody who has this testimony that I sought the Lord and He heard and He answered. I want everybody that's got that testimony just to give Him praise right now. Come on and give Him praise right now. Church. God bless you. In Jesus. 